Well, good morning to all of you, and welcome to our second service this Lord's Day. If you have your Bible, Colossians chapter 3 is where we're going to be. Colossians chapter 3. In just a, a moment, I'm going to begin reading from verse 1 of chapter 3, even though our concern lies only with verses 8 through 11. But as I read it and as I speak, I think you'll find or discover the reason why. If you're new to West Cohasset, you're very welcome. Uh, my name is Joe Franzone, and I serve here as a pastor, and I want to thank you uh, for being here. At the end of our time together, if you have any questions about Jesus Christ, the Bible, or what you heard this morning, or what happened in the first service, you can come down here, and I'll be happy to talk with you about those things and try to answer those questions. So let's hear the word of the Lord. Colossians 3, since then you, and this is speaking to Christians now, since the new Christian have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. Just a brief moment of silence, and then we'll have a brief prayer to seek the help that we, we need this morning. Our God and Father, we thank you for this precious moment. Will you please help us now as we study the Bible and think about our behavior as Christian people united to Jesus Christ? May we hear your voice this morning and obey it for Jesus' sake. Amen. I'm going to begin with a quote from Luther. Here, I must take counsel of the gospel. I must listen to the gospel, which teaches me what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has done for me, which is that he suffered and died to deliver me from sin and death. This gospel wills me to receive it and to believe it. And this is the truth of the gospel. It also is the principal article of all Christian doctrine. And pay attention here. Wherein the knowledge of all godliness and hope of holiness consists. Most necessary is the gospel, therefore, that we should know it well and that we should teach it to others and beat it into their heads continually. Now, that was Luther, as only Luther can be. And how vital is it is that the Christian understands that the gospel and only the gospel is to define our identity as Christians. This is who you are. The Christian is in Christ always before the eyes of God so that God looks at us, he sees Christ. 
And, it, and that's exactly what we've been saying these past few weeks, that Paul began this letter with the indicatives. This is true of every genuine believer. This is what God has done for you in Christ. And then he moves from that onto the imperatives. This is what is to be true of every genuine believer. Now, I want you to just stay with me for a moment. This morning I was just, I got up early and I was watching the different Christian programs and the sermons. And every one of the four that I listened to were essentially how-to sermons. They, they were in the imperative. You ought to do this. So they were telling us what we ought to do and how we ought to do it. But none of them, none of them were attached to the gospel. But if you look at your Bible, chapter 3, if your Bible is open, immediately what Paul does is make sure that when he begins to talk about morality, he never, ever disattaches it from Jesus Christ. Chapter 3, verse 1, since you've been united with Christ. 2, set your mind on things above because you died with Christ. Chapter 4, when Christ, who's your life. Chapter 3, verse 12, as God's chosen people, as people in Christ. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ. And so I want you to see right off the bat that Paul never ever talks about moral imperatives without giving the congregation, giving the people gospel indicatives. This is Octavius Winslow from the 17th century. Regeneration of the heart first, then it's sanctification. Reverse this and we derange every part of God's work. Therefore, sin, the problem of sin that the gospel has solved, that sin, Paul tells the Colossian Christians, so he's telling us, this sin must be put to death daily. That's our new identity. We are not at peace with indwelling sin any longer. We do have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, but because of Christ, we are not at peace with indwelling sin because sin is anti-God. It's sightless. It's self-centered. It's self-obsessed energy that's still in our fallen human nature. So sin is always fostering self-deceiving desires and selfish ambitions and selfish purposes, plans and attitudes and behaviors. And now that Christ has regenerated the believer, now that the believer is born again, a new creation in Christ, the sin, as we've been saying, which formerly dominated the Christian, has, has now been dethroned. But it has not yet been destroyed. So sin no longer dominates us in Christ. Sin just kind of hassles us. Or if you like, as we said a few weeks ago, sin no longer reigns in the Christian. But sin does remain in the Christian. Our sin then is to be put to death daily with a power not our own. Therefore, because this is a real reality, a lifelong battle with indwelling sin is to be expected. We have to understand this. A lifelong battle with indwelling sin is to be expected. It is the norm of every age, right? In our teens and 20s and 30s and 50s and 60s, if we are allowed to live that long, it's the norm. Lifelong battle with daily sin is the norm for every age, and it's the norm for everybody, right? You and I don't have any special graces when it comes to this battle. So, so then sin is always prowling around all the time, bringing back sinful desires that we had thought and hoped that we'd seen the last of. And sin is so perverted that it even takes Christians' new desires, the new desires for God and godliness, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and it takes those and twists them into kind of perverted pride as well. In other words, sin is so sinful that like the Pharisees, we can, we can always achieve kind of an outward conformity, a conformity that says, you know, we thank God that we here at West Cohasson aren't like other men. 
okay? That outward conformity is just so easy, right? Just do what everybody does in this context, and, and that's it. Outward conformity, which takes about the IQ of 20 and, and, the, and the power source of a 9-volt battery to accomplish it. That kind of conformity doesn't convert us. It just frankly confuses others. Nonetheless, if these things that we've been saying are true for the Christian, and they are, what is the Christian to do then? In dealing with indwelling sin, which remains in the Christian until their last breath, what are we to do? Because we know we are told, Colossians 2, verse 5, that we are, as God's people, to put to death that which belongs to our earthly nature. The, the battle to defeat indwelling sin is a commanded battle. We are to put to death sin, verse 5, uh, sexual immorality, greedy living, right? Are, are all those things that are disobedient to the will of God. Romans 6.1 makes this even more clear. Shall we go on sinning, Christian, so that grace may increase? Verse 2, by no means. We died to sin, and here's the key, how can we live in it any longer? It's a sensible question, is it not? How can we live in it, live in sin while we're living in Christ. So back to our question. What are we to do with indwelling sin that has been dethroned but hasn't been destroyed? Well, what we are not to do, right, is what Paul said in Colossians 2.8. We're not to depend on human philosophy with no connection to Christ, right? Not to depend on human lines of thinking that have no connection to the cross, to the resurrection, the ascension of Christ as the basis and as the power for holy living, right? All the books and talks and places that we would go that would tell us how to do holiness that never leans on, depends on, talks about the cross of Christ and his victory at Calvary, then we need to say no to those because without Jesus Christ, any philosophy is essentially a human philosophy. And we are not to think that somehow certain types of diets, chapter 2, verse 16, and certain holy days Tended to can give us the edge that we need for spiritual fitness and fullness and to be in the good with God, right? And especially, we are not to think that asceticism, chapter 2, verse 21, self-denial, right? And sanctification by separation, right? Isn't that the word taught sometimes? That the way to sanctification is get everything out. But here's the problem. Even if we could separate ourselves from the world by location, we still must deal with the sin in our own hearts caused by sin's origination. As in the garden, right? Original sin, man and woman chose themselves in evil instead of God in good. And again, Jesus, Mark 7, was so clear on that. The Pharisees outward, gosh, guys, that's not where sin comes from. It comes right in here. My own evil heart. Therefore now, as we've been saying, and this is purpose here, purposely now for three weeks, it is not in a technique and it's not in a how-to type of living that provides the Christian the capacity to say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. But it is in our union with the Lord Jesus Christ that provides the Christian the basis and now the capacity, new powers, to say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. Listen to your Bible, Titus 2.11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. Well, what does it do? Titus, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. Now you think with me for a minute. How, how unbiased of God here. A God who doesn't play favorites with his children, right? Can you imagine if God gave certain children in his kingdom more power to say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things than others? 
How unfair that would be of God. So get that out of your head if you think that way. And can you imagine if our ability to get to the certain place or buy the certain helps, that was the basis for our holiness so that if you can't get to the place or you can't afford the helps, then you're out of luck or you're far behind in the commanded work of holiness. Can you imagine if God functioned that way? Or can you imagine if the God, Acts chapter 17, who put us in exact times in exact places was dealing with sin's potential only by our location so that he gave some of us a better location than others and somehow our location is the strength behind our transformation given to us at our conversion in Christ. And so somehow if you live in a different place that the battle for good behavior, for holiness and holy living is um, either to your advantage or not to your advantage. Can you imagine if any of these things be true? No, God is sensible and he's wise. One Christ given to everyone, full power, that is a Christian. When we open our Bibles then, when we come to these sensible conclusions, sin is indwelling in every Christian. But if we are Christians, so is Christ. So we are in Christ. The hymn writer says it like this. Think what spirit dwells within you. Just think. Think what spirit dwells within you. Romans 8.10 says it so emphatically. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, right, among other things, if anyone does not have the given desire to say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things, they do not belong to Christ. Now, sometimes in the Christian community, in their zeal to reach the outsider, we take great pains to say to the outside world, we are just like you. But we have to be very, very careful because we are not completely just like them in Christ, are we? We have died to things that they have not died to as of yet. They are not in union with Christ. We want them to be, and part of our personal holiness is personal obedience to personal evangelism. But they, the outsider, is not like us completely. Oh God, that they would be, but they are not. I have two friends, their sisters, who became Christians uh, finding new life in Jesus Christ. One was living with her boyfriend the day she became a Christian. It was actually a night. She became a Christian at night. The next, the next moment, literally, she moved out of the apartment with her boyfriend. The other girl was a party girl. And I mean, she wasn't just a party girl. She was a party girl. <laughs> Some of you know what I mean. And the one sister... After her conversion, when when she would get invites from the old party crowd, she would sometimes reply like this, I regret to inform you that I cannot attend because I recently died. Now, how could she say this? Because she had died with Christ. She understood that. And her future life is now hidden, if you would, or all wrapped up in Jesus. And that is why Paul takes great pains to tell the Christians in Colossae that when you became a Christian, something real and something powerful and something transforming has happened to you when you became a Christian day one. Day one. Well, what about my past? Well, what about it? What about my location? Well, what about it? What about my zeal? Well, what about it? Is the basis of your holiness and hope for holiness based on you? Don't make this all about you on the reality shows like American Idol, X Factor, or America's Got Talent. When you see the advertisement, and sometimes when you actually watch the show, um, you see the judges and, and the lady, the beautiful lady who sings like an angel. She sings her song, and, and after the song is done, the, one of the judges would say to the gifted contestant, your life is about to change forever. And what do they do? They go, oh, oh, right, and they start 
balling and everything, and, and, and then week five, they get kicked off the show, right? <laughs> well, Christian, when you, became, when you became a Christian, your life is about to change forever, every day. Why? Because you're in Christ. And I want you to think with me for a moment. When you, when you think about the New Testament Gospels specifically, what are they telling us again and again? When we read the Gospels, the Gospels are evangelistic tracts for the outsider, right? That's why the Gospels were written. Evangelistic tracts for the outsider to see who Jesus is. But when the Christian reads the Gospel, how do we read them? I mean, they're the long version of the life of Jesus Christ. So what is God determined to tell the Christian? Well, this is the one who we are united to. This is the one who saved us. This is the one who we are in union with. So you look at the Gospels and you say to yourself, does Christ have the power needed to rescue me? Is he a good man? Is he a man of truth? People, especially self-righteous people, and when self-righteousness works itself in me, that's cruelty. And it scares me. Can Jesus save me from that? And can he save me when even I like sinning? And sometimes when I hate it, I understand and I get prideful because I hated it. And then on that horrible battle... Is he really the one prophesied in the Old Testament? Is he the suffering servant of Isaiah 53? Is he really divinity? Is his love really unconditional? Man, I need it to be. Is he really for me? Is Jesus really for me? Now, loved ones, is that how you read the gospel? Or do you read the gospel like a success success manual? Tell me what to do, and I'll do it. I just need to know what to do. So, So God, you know, give me the message today. I need it so I can do it. See, in all these things, the very essence of being a Christian is being in Christ. Now, you need to think, and I need to think, we are in union, Christian. Christian, we are in union with the one who made the whole universe and holds it together right now. He's the one that made everything and sustains everything, and we are in him. And loved ones, that has to mean something. Jesus' own words to his disciples, you are in me and I am in you, John 14, 20. John 17, 23, this is Jesus talking to the Father, and it's almost like baby talk. He says to the Father, I in them. So our union with Christ, which depends on grace, and our union with Christ, which rests on the love of Christ, and our union with Christ, which is a gospel-generated union, is a new name and new life a new destiny, a new realm of existence. This is the expulsive power of a new affection. That's a, a, a sermon title from the 17th century, Thomas uh, Chalmers. The expulsive power of new affections. Which means that this union that we have with Christ means that the fundamental direction of our lives have changed. This is Paul. I, it, is I who no, it, is, it is no longer I who live, Right? But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Do do you believe, Christian, that that at death's moment that we will have the power from God to to not fear death? Do you believe that, that we are righteous before God right now because of Jesus Christ? Do we have faith to believe that when death actually comes that we'll be safely ushered in into the arms of Jesus Christ? Do you have the faith to believe that when we do sin, that by God's grace he forgives us? If we're a Christian, do you have the faith to believe that? Then have the faith to believe that we are new people now with new powers in Jesus Christ. And so some of the conclusions that must be noted begins in verse 7. You used to walk in those ways. Verse 5, those, those messed up ways. 
in the life you once lived. The dark chapter of that part of my life is over that way. Because these things are true now. Verse 8, if your Bible is open, now. In the Greek, there's no but there. It just reads now. So there's no conjunction. It just reads now. The word is nuni. I told the first service, it's a cute little word, isn't it? Nuni. The parents talk to kids in the diapers, right? No, we say nuni, or at least we did, or something like that, or anyway. Okay? Now, immediately, instantly, promptly, do not wait. Get rid of sin. Think of it this way. Let's say you're in the middle of the most hideous sin you can think of. And you just locked yourself into a room. And then in a mere moment, right before your eyes, is your spouse, your dad, your mom, your children, your Christian brothers and sisters. Would we not stop immediately, instantly, promptly now? Of course we would. Unless we were a foolish person, we would, we would be sensible. So Paul says, now, Christian, because you are now united with Christ, you are into him, as it were. And because now our very bodies by rights are his, Therefore, now our eyes see what he sees and our lips are saying what he would say and our hands are touching what he would touch and our feet are going where he would go. All things done before the eyes of one who we must give an account. So now, daily, moment by moment, take off the old life. And right here we have to say, I mean, the old man dies hard, doesn't he? The old man dies hard. I mean, I, we should fall to our knees. I mean, what, if we were thinking sensibly, why should we ever sin with that much help and that much power? Why would we ever sin? But we do. And we thank God that forgiveness can, can be given in Jesus and he extends this forgiveness every day. Ephesians 5.15 Consider carefully how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. The Lord's will is us for be holy. When Henry Varley said to Major Whittle during an evangelistic meeting, and, and Whittle and Varley were colleagues of Dwight L. Moody, and so they were singing the song in their, in their meeting, I need thee every hour. And he told, Varley told Whittle, I don't like that hymn. Because I don't need him every hour. I need him every moment. So Whittle was a military man. And so he locks himself into his whole hotel room that night. Grabs a pen. Grabs some paper. And he begins to write down the words to this hymn. Moment by moment. Moment by moment. I am kept in his love. Moment by moment. I have life from above. Looking to Jesus till glory does shine. Moment by moment. O Lord I am thine. And, and when he writes, he's speaking in the indicative here. This is true of every genuine Christian. I mean, that has to be good news. So it doesn't matter your past or your location or all those things that we were tempted to be say, you know, even our parents. Boy, our parents, they take a big hit in this lifetime, in this past 25 years. They didn't do this. They didn't do that for me. And therefore, I'm this way. Not for the Christian. Not for the Christian. Moment by moment. Now, verse 8b, rid yourself because you can the Greek phrase, rid yourself, has the idea of take off your old, dirty clothes. Take off those rags. Take off those sinful clothes. Verse 5, sins of the body and the mind. Verse 8, sins of the mouth and the mind. So take off anger and rage. Both are, are essentially the same word. This is where one's hostility is so large, they just blow up in a fit of fury. Just, pew, 
Proverbs, a man who lacks self-control is like a city whose walls are broken down. Malice. This is the frame of mind that is bent on doing others harm. You, you want to cause them pain. This is a deep-seated meanness. You're waiting for the right moment, and you get them in the right moment, sometimes public, sometimes private, but then boom, a barrage of painful words meant to hurt Stirring trouble, if you would, for trouble's sake. This is, this is Cain towards Abel. Are you kidding me? His offering's better than mine? No. Something's going to happen here. Malice. Slander. The, the Greek word is blasphemia. The, uh, loud abuse. It's interesting. When the word is translated towards God, it's, it's translated blasphemy. But in relation to human beings, it's translated slander. And slander is evil, hurtful talk that is designed to damage or destroy the person's reputation. It's typically done where our victims aren't even aware of it. I said this morning that that the most dangerous place in our home sometimes is the kitchen table where all that kind of slander goes on. And so the person that we might be tempted to slander about, they can't even defend themselves because they're not in front of their accusers. James 3.9. With our tongues we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in His likeness. Out of the same mouth, Joe, praise and curses. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be. And then finally, if your Bibles are open, filthy language, obscene and offensive and immoral and indecent talk. When we were kids, we would call it dirty talk, right? Smutty talk, a soiled tongue, foolishness. Low brain speech. And how can these things be when we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms? That's what Paul would say. Paul would say, put them to death now. Just stop it. You can, you know. Rid yourself of them now. Do not cuddle yourself in these things. And and don't say you're just venting. No, no venting. Repenting. And then verse 9. Do not lie to each other. Don't lie to each other. Judge David Turner, he was a leader in his local church, said online, when we lie, we supremely do Satan's work because he is the master of lies. I have been lied to at the bar and the bench in one way or another. I have been lied to by clients and witnesses, by defendants, and very sadly on occasion by police officers. But none of those lies have affected me as much than when I was leading God's people in his church, and they lied to me. Lying is what is forbidden in the ninth commandment. Not, lying is not telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Lying is when we don't say no to gossip. This is what Pascal said. Don't let this be true. This is what he said. I lay it as a fact that if all men knew what others say of them, there would not be four friends in the world. Lying is saying no to rumor and to exaggeration. This is what a liar will do. A liar will take some truth, not the whole truth, twist that half-truth to their advantage, thereby making it a lie. Revelation 21 and 8. The sexually immoral and idolaters, the greedy, and all liars, their place will be and the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. In other words, this is the end. 
And here's the issue. If, if none of this is connecting with us this morning, and, and I, I would guess that all of, it, all of us here, but if it's not connecting with you this morning, if this doesn't move you to action, if you're just going to remain indifferent to these things so, so that our union with Jesus Christ is not the most important thing, right? There's something out there better just waiting for us. If we're, if we're struggling to make Jesus Christ our treasure in these things, then it might be because we have something else as our treasure. Isn't that fair? I mean, if we're, if we're struggling to make Jesus Christ our treasure in these things, then it might be because we have something else as our treasure. Something in our minds, our hearts, has already captured us. Archbishop William Temple said this, your religion is what you do with your solitude. Now think of us, because some of us here have a lot of solitude time. So what do we most fear? What do we most love? What gives us the most pleasure? What makes us anxious in our solitude? And what is, what is going on in our inner life, our daydreams, is, is in the realm of our mind and in and, and our inner life. And our inner life, when it captures us, we have to ask ourselves the question, is Christ the dominating theme? And you say, well, well does that matter? Does my inner life matter? Yes, it does, because our inner life, our daydreams, is the diagnosis of what has captured our heart. This is the Bible, out of the abundance of the heart, the heart, remember the mind and the heart, they're connected in, in Hebrew and Greek, it's the same, and it, what's, the, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So what the Bible says eventually, that the inner life, over time, will eventually work itself out to real life, right? The inner life. Eventually, over time, will will work itself out into real life. That's why, like guys like David and Uzziah, when did they really go bad? Their twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, late fifties, early sixties. Inner life eventually works itself out into our real life. Take off verse eight, the old self with its practices. Verse ten, put on your new self. Okay, good, new self. Tell me what the new self is. Being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Is that true for every Christian? Yes, it's true for every Christian. Same amount of power, same amount of power. So the old clothes, immorality, lust, greed, selfishness, unbridled tongue, a lying tongue, all those old clothes, we don't need to have them anymore because the Christian is in Christ. They can be thrown out daily, right? Thrown out daily. Daily, I, I have an old blue shirt that's a nasty looking thing. I cannot throw it away, right? It's got holes and I asked Nicole, can you fix this and you can fix that? I can't even wear it anymore, but I still won't throw it out. It went into my closet, it'd be right up there with all the shirts that are there that I'll never wear, but I can't throw out. Paul would want me to throw out that shirt. <laughs> throw out that old nasty way and put on Christ. Eugene Peterson in the message He translates verse 10, every item of your new way of life is custom made by your creator. Have you ever worn custom made clothes? I've never worn custom made clothes, but every item of our new way of life is custom made by our creator. Custom made clothes for his chosen children, right? Custom made clothes for his chosen children. What a great father we have, right? What a great father we have. There's no hopeless victim here. There's no helpless victim here. And when Paul writes, verse 10, being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator, what he's saying, well, what he's doing actually is going back to first principles. He's thinking theologically. Here's part of Christ's victory at Calvary. The new self, because of Christ's victory, is being renewed, present continuous tense, being renewed. This is happening right now. 
God is doing this in every Christian right now. God is working in you right now. I don't feel God is working in you right now. So it's not impossible that we do sin. It's just incongruous that we actually sin. In other words, this is not in harmony with, with who we actually are. So Paul says, get rid of it. It doesn't fit anymore. Get rid of it with Christ's power. Another quote from Octavius Winslow. Here is the glorious pattern of a child of God. In the habits of the mind, in their temper, and their daily work, and every action, and every like look, God is working to make us more like Christ. That's a certainty. God is working in you, Christian, in a highly customized exact way to fashion us into the very image of Jesus Christ in knowledge, in the image of our Creator. So what does that mean? Well, in part, it means this, that this, this world, which is just so common, right? If you want to take a beating, just go out into the world, right? This, this common world has to see uncommon character and can see uncommon compassion and uncommon honesty and uncommon humility and uncommon inner beauty and uncommon outer graces that is more and more matching the man of grace because we are in union with the Lord Jesus Christ, the man of grace and truth. Man of grace and the man who does not lie. And Paul would go, verse 11, while we're on the subject, let's be really clear here. Because the basis of our holiness is only in Christ. There's no room for Christian snobbery. Let's be clear whether you're high or born or low born. Let's be clear about your credentials or your family name or your station in life. Let's be clear about your face and your race and your place. Verse 11, there's, there's no Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and Christ is in all. In other words, there's no place for the Christian in their life for snootiness or snobbery, but, but especially because of your face and your race and your place, right? Those are all things that you did not have any control of. So why would you go around with your face and your race and your place as the basis for your standing with people, God's people, you're standing with God? Why would you do that? Of all places, the church of Jesus Christ ought to manifest un- unmistakable Christ-centered behavior in a culture when it, which is unseen and unfelt in any other place. I mean, the clubs and the societies and all the other groups that, that are out there, we, we must do, we can do, we ought to do far better than they in those, in those things. And this can be because our identity is in Christ. And Christ is all that matters, That's, which is what Paul is saying when he says Christ is all and in, in all. You see that at the end of verse 11? Christ is all and in, in all. It means Christ is all that matters. And Christ is in all Christians. This isn't pantheism. See, Christ is, is all that matters and Christ is in every Christian. So how can different people in Christ find common ground? There's just one answer. Christ is all that matters. And how can I answer the question, what is the best thing about me? I mean, have you tried to answer that question? to you? What is the very best thing about me? The best thing about me is that I am in Christ and Christ is in me and Christ is all that matters. That's, that's the best thing about me forever and ever, world without end. Now, do we think that way, dear Christian? I mean, when we're done here, I'll be here for questions and answers if you have any, but if you have a better answer than the best thing about me is that I am in Christ and Christ is in me, 
forever and ever, world without end, and Christ is all that matters. Find one. You won't find one. So, so the foundation in dealing with our sin is only found in our relationship with Jesus Christ. By coming to the cross, we're able to deal with the devil and temptations of the world and our own fallen flesh. We, when we fail, okay, we will fail. When we fail, fail or doesn't, failure doesn't have to be final. Jesus was forsaken so that we might be forgiven. So, so some questions. They're good questions, I think. First question, are you, in, are you a Christian? Because none of this stuff would really be useful to you if you weren't a Christian. Second, are you daily in this battle? This battle, this way. And are you sometimes winning, sometimes losing? So am I. So am I. But have we taken off our old clothes every day and put on the new clothes? And do you know and do you believe? Because I'm sure it's easy to say this here on Sunday morning, but Monday morning, right, will be the real test, or Tuesday morning in my case. The, the very best thing about us is that we are in Christ, and Christ is in us, and Christ is all that matters. Thank you for your attention. Let's bow together and pray. Our God and Father, we arose this morning with the strength of Christ's birth and his baptism, with the strength of his crucifixion and his burial, with the strength of his resurrection and his mighty ascension. Christ with us, Christ before us, Christ behind us, Christ in us, beneath us, and above us, Christ on our right, Christ on our left, Christ when we lie down, Christ when we sit down. Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of us, please. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of us, please. Christ in the eyes that see us. Christ in the ears that hear us. Christ is all and in all. Christ is all that matters. May the love of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit Remain and abide in us, both now and forevermore. Amen.